Welcome to Minutes with Mary. I'm your host, Mary Stellatello. Join me for short conversations. I mean, dog walk short conversations about coaching, leadership, organizational transformation, and social impact. This episode is adapted from a conversation hosted by Deb Shannon on her podcast called The Elevating Conversation. You may remember Deb as a co-host of the Minutes with Mary CIQ miniseries. Deb hosted me and fellow conversational intelligence certified coach Keith Greer to explore what the pandemic has made visible and a few silver linings, how we judge ourselves today and relationship building. It's fun to be together with fellow conversational intelligence coaches. And I'd like to kick off with a ritual that Judith Glazer shared with us. This particular exercise is important today as we focus on making the invisible visible. Remember, I can see each of you on screen and I can hear your voices. And that doesn't actually mean that I'm aware of what you're bringing to the table because you have a personal life, you have a professional life, there's a community, and there might be a monsoon going on outside. So just by checking in with one another at the beginning of a meeting, we have an opportunity to build empathy for one another and begin to make visible what would otherwise be invisible. I will kick off by sharing that I'm a little bit jittery and sometimes speak too quickly because of that, because together we co-create the content of this podcast, which is so meaningful in creating positive ripples out in the world. And just the idea, the risk and the potential of that makes me feel vulnerable and excited at the same time. So thank you for joining me today. Mary, what are you bringing into the room? Thanks for continuing this ritual, Deb. It's always, it's so important. You know, I'm bringing in a lot of different things today. One, doing some serious training with my puppy, and we are focused on that. Just did a little session with her before coming in here. Two, outside it is 90 degrees, and it's been 90 degrees the last few days. It's going to be 90 degrees for another few days, so I'm trying to stay calm and um, navigate the heat, drinking a lot of water. And, um, you know, three, just really excited to be having our conversation as well as some other coaching conversations after this today. Thank you. Keith, tell me, what's, what's going on for you today? So I'm walking in today. First of all, thank you for asking and and having this be the start to our conversation today. I'm walking in with, boy, just a range of feelings and thoughts. And I've been in some, it's also wonderful just that we're going to be talking about CIQ today. I've spent the last couple of years uh, in a leadership role within my faith community. And part of some of my goals in doing that were to bring some of these CIQ concepts into that community. There are, there are some folks that, that really struggle in how they communicate and the effectiveness and the respect and trust that isn't in the room. And uh, I've just been in a few conversations over the last week and a half that have been very frustrating. So I'm actually feeling that today, feeling a level of angst and yet excitement about being here. And I'd just add to that, I've had the privilege of being in a training for pretty advanced coaches about 
doing a different type of coaching supervision that is less focused on, on the competencies that we are aware of and more focused on a reflective practice, somewhat akin to what I experienced when I was a practicing family therapist. So I had a class today and it, it always centers me and puts me in a good place. So a whole host of stuff happening, and, but I, I'm where I'm supposed to be right now. I'm so glad. I think so too. And I think that this exercise really highlights the complexity that comes into every room. So I'm just going to use that as a springboard to the fact that over the past 15 months, the mental and emotional underbelly, these things that were invisible for so long of how we think and our expectations for ourselves, as well as for leaders, has really come to light in a lot of different ways, sometimes a little sloppy, <laughs> sometimes refined, and sometimes with a lot of grace. We have, to a large degree, lost the luxury of compartmentalizing work mm -hmm. from personal and community life. And I think that you guys each just touched on that. So let's dive into some of the mental and emotional conversations that have come to light unintentionally, perhaps because of the pandemic, and then talk a little bit about how coaches build trust to more intentionally craft how we reveal the invisible and get great results. So Mary, what have you noticed in your work that's been exposed because of the pandemic? Thanks, Deb, for kicking it off with that juicy one. That transition that many folks made to the, you know, going to an office to working from home wasn't so dramatic for me, but it was incredibly disruptive for so many people. The underbelly or the undercurrent of just stress, elevated stress of everyone that we we've come, we come in contact with, you know, humanity has just been elevated. And so we as, as CIQ coaches know what's going on there is like people's cortisol is up and we know that our ability to navigate change, navigate challenge is smaller because of that. But folks that I have, you know, come in contact with or worked with as a coach or even as a consultant, they didn't have that cognitive understanding of that happening to them. And what they were experiencing is I'm failing. I can't figure out why I can't get anything done. My productivity has dropped dramatically at work. I'm not performing well. What's wrong? And so to really help them recognize that what's going on here is you're, you're walking through a world, an experience that you never had before. Your worlds are colliding in the sense that you can't compartmentalize work and personal anymore. Now your kids are sitting right next to you and you can't expect that you're going to get done what you used to get done at work. So this idea of having to recalibrate and be forgiving of ourselves in ways of that level of productivity, let's take a new look at what productivity and success means now, given that you're not only a worker, you're a parent, you're a caregiver, you're five roles at the same time. Wow, right now. And so, you know, really allowing people to, to lean into that and to uh, give themselves some 
self-compassion, I think was one of the most important breakthrough pieces over the last 15 months that recognizing this is not anything like we've ever navigated and that we, to be compassionate with ourselves. And part of that is our energy that we have to pay attention to what we need to have energy and being on video the number of hours that we're on video now, which wasn't, you know, in the past is real in draining our energy as humans. And we have to recognize that we've got to step away from that. If we're going to build and maintain our stability, as we continue to navigate all of the challenges that have surfaced over this last 15 months. So, you know, self-care and really giving ourselves permission for self-compassion and recognizing the complexity of trying to navigate multiple roles in ways we never did in the past. All of those things have really, really come to the forefront for me in the last 15 months. You know, there's a couple of things that I've thought about over the last year and a half, and and I echo everything that that Mary just shared. That might just maybe add a little bit to it, just from, you know, looking at the world through my eyes. It has not just been the pandemic that has impacted people. It has been, at least in our country, the politics that got intertwined in the pandemic that added a whole nother layer, I think, for, for many of us to how we, we cope with this, how, we've, how we think about it, how we feel about it. Uh, you know, I found myself over the last 15 months really thinking in terms of trauma and not, not just trauma like if I personally knew somebody who died from, from COVID, just even if I didn't, and, you know, and I can be thankful I didn't, but just the impact on negotiating a worldwide pandemic, on the changes it, it thrust us into immediately in how we do our lives, because we know us human beings are creatures of habit. And when we are faced with something that requires us to, to move in a new direction quickly, most of us don't do well with that. It's really, really difficult. And so I think of many of the conversations I've been in over, over the year and a half with, with clients and family members and friends and, and just giving people space to talk about how they conceptualize what's going on before we even get into a conversation about how they would like to respond, right? Maybe some strategies or, or, or whatever. Where are you? Where are you in your head, in your heart? How is this, especially around the politics, how is this impacting some very close relationships? It's been a traumatic event. I don't think that is dramatic to frame it that way. Yeah, I think that's really true. And talk about grief. You know, there's grief for losing a, a way of life that we thought we knew and we were comfortable with. And there's also the loss of the future, the way we thought we understood right. our future was going to be and our children's future would be and our grandchildren's future would be the future of, you know, other immigrants to this country, people like my grandmother who had a chance. There's loss in all of these different dimensions. Keith, to hear you talk about 
starting sessions with conceptualizing it. Let's put a container around how it is that you see it and experiencing it. Here we are in the throes of life in this country, on this planet, with one another. And some of our work as coaches involves building teams in a time that can look really divisive. And Sometimes we are tasked with getting people to rally around a cause. You know, and one of the other things that Keith really lifted up is that the intentionality around relationship building was elevated off the charts in this last 15, 16, 18 months. So when you took away the informal ability to sort of build relationship or be in the same room with someone, sort of sensing that person and being in this virtual environment. Now, relationship building was something that people actually have to be intentional about because the informal pathways weren't there. And we as as CIQ coaches know there's a lot in the energy transfer transference and mirror neurons when you're 10 feet away from someone that you actually are sensing is this person someone that I feel trust with or not, or what's going on with that person. You don't get that in the virtual environment and it's distorted as well. So being intentional about building relationships is one of the most fundamental aspects of making the invisible visible. And, you know, I've done a lot of work with merger negotiations with nonprofit organizations. So These are organizations and people who are very heart-driven in their work and wanting to make sure that they are having transformational impact in the communities. And this opportunity of thinking about coming together, possibly considering what could we do better together and have more impact. So really thinking one plus one equals three, not two, gets them to the table with some excitement and aspiration and possibility But then they're bringing everything else, like we just said when we checked in. What were our past relationships with folks in these different organizations? What do we know about them from the past? What are pieces that we don't trust? And so starting those conversations and those negotiations with really establishing our group agreements, what are our shared aspirations? How do we see our missions collectively being transformed so that we have that foundational aspirational making visible those things that we really admire in each other as a foundation so that when the going gets tough we can go back to those and I literally will put those virtually on the wall or in the room on the wall to remind ourselves when we're having those moments of protection fear, distrust, hey, let's not forget what we're trying to co-create here together, this aspiration that we started with. So right out of the gate, we, we look towards that aspirational future. I have found, and I, I, I don't think this is necessarily related to COVID. COVID, I, th- I think, just exacerbated this, this process when you, when you attempt to engage as human beings in the following conversation. How do you know whether you trust somebody? What needs to be in the room? That would be evidence that there's a level of trust and safety in this room that works for you. 
And so every time I'm in that conversation, that agreement that I think Mary was talking about, people, I think, tend to assume trust happens magically. If trust doesn't happen, there's a lack of trust in the room. It's somebody else's fault. I just had the opportunity. I'm doing a little negotiation right now with a optical practice in my area, about 30 employees. Their employees are struggling with each other and demonstrating a great lack of trust with each other. And when the practice manager called me, her goal was to have me come in and do like an hour, I call it a dog and pony show. That conversation turned into over an hour on the phone of talking about trust and safety and what you know, the three of us understand now of, of how this has to be consciously co-created by the people in the room who make themselves vulnerable and are willing to say, here's what trust, safety, and inclusion, this is what it would be to me. And this is what, what the evidence would be. This is, I ask people to think about how they would operationalize trust and safety. How do you measure it? How do you know? Because we love, and you know, we love in those conversations to use fluffy terms. Well, you know, if if people respected me, I'd feel trust. Well, what do we do in the CIQ world? We double click on that word, right? Because we know if there's 10 people in the room, there's 10 different meanings assigned to that. So that conversation, I I just continue to find fascinating. And And I continue to find it fruitful because I continue to find when I engage people in that conversation, you see a light bulb go off over their head. That, oh, yeah, there's more to this whole trust, safety, inclusion thing than just we, we hope it happens. So that light bulb analogy is so perfectly apt because there you are shining light just in the very beginning on a couple of understandings around the room, how people define respect for themselves. So that's illuminating. That is making visible what was invisible. And that's just part of the process. That isn't even the heart of what you're trying to get to in your work. How do you lift what's lurking in the high grass out and into the daylight? And what we're agreeing on here is that creating that environment of trust in the neurochemistry of the conversation really means elevating oxytocin and opening up the pathways into the prefrontal cortex, which enables people to be co-creative, to be nurturing, to be curious and supportive and cooperative, right? Co-creative. What else is coming to light because we've begun valuing relationships and become more trusting with one another. The sense of not realizing that things were actually feeling disruptive to ourselves until we allow ourselves to be more vulnerable to experience them. So loving the tool of the conversational dashboard that Judith so brilliantly put together and I use that tool often when I'm working in groups because it gives people the range of checking in, like, where am I right now? It's not on off. It's this continuum of where am I with respect to feeling comfortable or feeling like I can fully trust or if I'm still skeptical or not. And so 
having a tool like that allows everyone individually to say, where am I in this ability to co-create? Like, it's not, um, I don't trust and then I trust, right? There is a movement or a process that starts to happen with what can get me from being skeptical to being an experimenter or a mentor of experiments. What's that little incremental shift I can make? So it's really about those micro steps or those incremental steps that I think have been super helpful for me and myself in, you know, working with others in multiple ecosystems, whether that's personal, professional, community, et cetera. Yeah. So I think what I hear you saying is just talking about growth and our ability to be self-reflective. Yeah. So related to that and what you said a moment ago, Deb, about all of those roles you fulfill and the reality of, for all of us, of all of the different roles and all of the different contexts that we exist in. And I think, you know, very much related to making the invisible visible has been a series of conversations that I've been in over the 18 months with people, clients, again, clients, friends, family, as we've all been coping with this. That for me has shed some light on a concept that we've used for years and years and years that maybe what we've been through in the last 18 months has demonstrated that that concept is very limited, and it's the concept of work-life balance. As if those are the only two contexts we exist in, right? There's work, and then there's everything else. And somehow, when you use a concept like work-life balance, you're inherently saying the two concepts are equal. There's work, and then there's life. And I've just had this really cool opportunity to be in some reflective conversations with folks where they are starting to look at that and say, wait, that's not how it is. There's just, if we even want to use the word balance, there's just life balance. Because here's the assortment, as you highlighted a moment ago, Deb, an assortment of the context that I exist in, the roles that I fill that all require time and energy and both external and internal resources. I mean, we all get to decide some priority, I would imagine, of those roles. But I think for this, a lot of people have walked away, really start questioning maybe the overemphasis that they have been placing on the context of work within the larger scope of who they are and how they are and where they derive happiness and joy and satisfaction. That's a pretty vulnerable conversation, uh, especially when it's happened with some of my clients who, you know, spend a lot of time in the more traditional work context of their life, have done that for a long time, have done it well, have found success, but maybe at a cost in terms of hours and sacrifices. And they're just starting to say, hmm, maybe there's something different. Yeah, I would add to that. It can also even be like a, a little bit of an existential crisis. I have oh, yeah. with clients and also like the joy of, oh my gosh, like I just had a client who is in a very highly intense job that I have been working with on this concept of, she defines this as work-life balance, but she took the opportunity to like, go to a foreign country and continue working for two weeks. Like 
whoa, here's this flexibility to be able to kind of integrate more of my personal interests and what gives me energy and, you know, joy in a different way with what I thought was possible for work. Now, that's one of those underbelly, silver lining aspects of the pandemic of work from home. But work from home didn't just start at the pandemic. You know, I'm one of those people that has worked virtual office for 15 years. So it's giving people a possibility of thinking about how they allow their life to flow differently, their whole life to flow differently. Whether that's walk your dog at, you know, one o'clock in the afternoon or take a run and then come back and work until six or six. Those things of managing a different sort of rhythm of your whole life. Yeah. Yeah. So this is really interesting because the act of making the invisible visible opens up the possibility to great joy right? It's like the floodgates. Oh, if that's possible, now that I understand this, then that and that and all of these other amazing things can follow. And it also reveals new uncertainties. If somebody just cancels the assumptions that I had lived with so very comfortably for so long, (laughs) now what? And I love the way our conversation as coaches being positive people and thinking about, we we live in a realm of mirror neurons, mirroring one another's best self in the moment as best we can. I would love to hear from you about how people experience that moment of transition. Do you see joy? Do you see fear? And is it different when you're working with a team? I think, yes, yes, you see all of that because those, those aha moments are inherently vulnerable moments. So they're vulnerable moments if it's just I'm laying in bed at night and have an aha moment that, you know, you use the word dev assumptions, right? All of a sudden, whoa, maybe an assumption that has been guiding my life, I'm starting to question. That's a vulnerable making moment. It's maybe a little bit more vulnerable making when it happens when one of us is in the in the room with this human being in our role as a coach, just because there's another human being in the room. So it brings in all this other all these other conversations about do I trust Deb, Mary and Keith enough to in the here and now notice this place I'm at that's shaken my world. Now, shaken my world could be in any moment fear. It could also be absolute excitement and opportunity presently working with a couple of small teams, it exacerbates all of that because there's more people in the room. And I don't want to make that sound as simple as that might sound, except sometimes I think it is. If there's more people in the room, then what we know is the focus on trust and safety in this space with these other human beings for me to be able to first even allow myself to be attentive in the here and now of how I'm doing, often perceived through feelings in our, in our body. Do I have that ability? If I, if I do notice, do I feel enough safety in the room to share it, to make myself vulnerable, to say, because when we challenge an assumption, we're kind of saying, I don't know anymore. Right? The ground is shifting under my feet and I don't know anymore. Again, having been there, 
there's moments that scares the you know what out of me, and there's moments it's like this is the coolest thing in the world. So that's always been my the way I've conceptualized it. As you increase the number of people in the room, the challenge around my willingness to go to a vulnerable place, a new place, that challenge increases. Right. I you know I would add to that because you have to have relationship built with every one of those people in the room to feel safe enough to feel it's safe and inclusive place. It's not just the one person I feel safe. that's going to create that universal sense of safety. So it takes more intention, time, just level of engagement to create that. You know, just to build on that, what you're saying about working with groups and, you know, over the last 18 months, I've had the opportunity to work on a global program of leaders who are challenging inequality in their local context. And the entire program has been virtual, right? It wasn't supposed to be that way. We were supposed to come together and, you know, have a, a you know, group five-day gatherings of these 24 leaders, et cetera. So we have had to build an environment that created enough trust and safety and inclusion virtually. And it's taken over a year and we're still not totally there yet, but we're seeing it. And how are we seeing it? Is because we're breaking them down into pairs. We're breaking and creating opportunities for small groups to come together and connect with each other, creating opportunities for individual conversations so that they're starting to link those, build those relationships individually, one person at a time. So then collectively, that level of trust starts to emerge. You know, it's really cool to think about. We've covered individual discovery sessions about ourselves and then how groups discover themselves too, to a certain extent and the greater challenges with the more complexity, with the more human bodies, minds, and lives that enter the room. And I have to think that this silver lining of the pandemic really is that moment when people have gone within themselves to discover what they what we were all really good at just sweeping under the rug for a long time, sometimes hard decisions about the place I work is not the place I want to be. And that paycheck is really nice. And this mountain bike that I have right now is just fine. I don't need a fancier mountain bike. I don't need a bigger car. We have spent time together discovering family and neighbors and communities in new ways, even online, just like you were just talking about, Mary, learning to start small until we mastered large holiday Zoom calls with multiple cousins. And the joy, we were joyous about having that tool. So I think in summary, what what we have really covered here is that There's been a lot of self-discovery that informs group discovery and the process that every group has to go through. Now, more than ever, more organizations and businesses are deciding what is back to work going to look like for us. And in making that decision, there are a lot more voices in the room 
which actually creates all kinds of possibilities for inclusivity of people who are powerfully enabled in very different ways. And I think a lot about the blind and the deaf who would struggle to get to a physical workplace in a different way. People who Mary, this actually takes me right back to one of our conversations about not hearing or not seeing, but being enabled with other tools and senses. And because people are more empowered now to have harder conversations, to be vulnerable with themselves, to learn to be vulnerable in, the, in our own groups, there is the possibility for creating greater relief for being with ourselves once I've said out loud, yeah, it's time for me to change jobs. There's greater relief in that. The pandemic forced many of us to have higher level conversations and to reveal aspects of our thoughts and assumptions that were hidden before. And the fact that in every conversation we are in a complex process is not new now. We're navigating the seen and the unseen, and now we have tools like understanding higher levels of cortisol and the benefits of oxytocin in that navigation. So here's my invitation to all of our listeners today is to commit to make a list, just make a list of what you're noticing now that's visible or said out loud at home or in the community that you didn't notice before. And then ask yourself one more question. What does that change? Now that it's been put out there, what does that change? This exercise lays the groundwork for you to really get curious about other things. I'm really hoping that it sets off a chain of ideas and questions for yourselves about what the invisible elements in your environments are. How does making things more transparent, more visible, benefit the greater good? Mary and Keith, do you have any ideas to add to that? Questions, thoughts, inspirations? You know, I would just say it takes courage. We have to be thinking about being courageous in new ways and in different ways. And micro steps can be transformational, right? So it isn't everything at one time. It's what one thing are you drawn to feel courageous about and make visible right now? One of the practices I engage in and with clientele that come to me around uh, addiction recovery is the practice of motivational interviewing, which is a way of interacting with, with folks that helps them find their motivation to make a change. When I think about the impact of the pandemic, and I in no way want to minimize the, the loss of life, we do know that sometimes what motivates people is pain. And that what I wonder about, as I've had been in a lot of these conversations, and I say this very respectfully, that the pandemic brought for many of us, myself included, discomfort. That it has been an opportunity for us to get curious about, hmm, what is that discomfort? As you said, Deb, what else is going on here for me? What does this mean? How do I attend to this? How do I reflect on it and be curious about it? Because it's telling me something. And I think for a lot of human beings, that's been a really positive outcome 
I guess, if we can use that term, of what our experience has been for the last 18 months, that this has told me something, and maybe I, I was thrust into it whether I wanted it or not, something needed to be different, and how do I want to hold on to that and maintain that and build that, even as we come out the other side of the pandemic? That is terrific. So second throwdown to our audience out there is how are you choosing to make this pain productive? Right. Notice it, say it out loud, write it down, tuck it under your pillow, under your <laughs> glass of water on the nightstand. Keith Greer and Mary Stella Tello, I cannot thank you enough for joining me again on the Elevating Conversations podcast. It's just so much fun to get to spend time with each of you. Thanks for listening to Minutes with Mary. You can listen to all episodes of the podcast on your favorite podcast platform or on the Vista Global Coaching and Consulting website at www.vistaglobalcc.com, where you can also learn more about the programs and services Vista Global offers to create the world we want to live in. If you like what you heard today, let's connect on Twitter at Vista Global Mary. Thanks so much for joining me. It was awesome to have you along for this segment.